thank you for having me here. Um, so I was born into a Christian family in Indonesia. I attended a Christian school and regularly went to Sunday school. I dared to call myself a Christian then, but in reality, I did not understand what true Christianity is. I remember as an only child, I was always unhappy. I cried a lot, but did not exactly know why or what I wanted. My parents tried to give me whatever I asked, like comforting me and buying me things. That stopped me from crying, but eventually I would just cry again. The accumulation of getting things my way kept me happy. What I did not know was that there was a big void inside of me and it was not being addressed. When I was 15 years old, my family and I moved to the United States. It was a big shock to me. The things that kept me happy all of a sudden was not there anymore. I lost confidence because I did not know how to speak English and felt unattractive compared to American kids. I felt a big void again. I thought I must fit in as soon as possible so I can feel good about myself. My parents took me to an Indonesian church in the U.S., but I disliked the idea. I thought being around Indonesian was going to stand in my way of mastering English quickly and becoming Americanized. I struggled for a while, but I managed to survive. I spoke English in no time and made a lot of friends, and that kept me happy. But the big void in me was still not being addressed. I subconsciously knew the big void in the big void I felt was not feeling loved. I also felt I have very low self-worth due to the things I experienced growing up. But I did not want to admit of being this broken. I never talked to my parents or anyone about my issues because I was in denial myself. My mom would pester me to go to church, pray or correct my behavior by telling me, don't do this because the Bible says this. I never listened. I was selfish and only cared about my own problems. I was all over the place. I looked for love and self-worth in different forms. I studied hard and eventually got a good job to give me self-worth. I spent a lot of time on my looks to feel more confident. I also always had a boyfriend to make me feel like I have worth because someone loved me. I was committing sins by worshiping this worldly idol but I thought my circumstance was so pitiful, so it was okay to sin. Despite surviving college and getting a good job, I felt out of place at work and struggled to perform. I went through so many relationships that did not work. I felt like a big failure and felt like no one loved me. I partied and drank a lot to forget about my problems. I even remember telling my friends I didn't really believe in God. I knew I was sinning, but I just kept going. One day I met Michael, who is my now husband. For the first time, one thing he said stood out to me, and he said, God sees you and loves you for who you are. I had been exposed to Christ Christian activities all my life, but it felt as if that was the first time I heard someone tell me about God's love, and it made me feel good for the moment, but it did not change the way I lived. An old friend of mine invited me to a church I used to attend, and I went for the purpose of seeing her, not so much for God, but I knew that church wasn't bad for me either. It's just that I chose to live a sinful life, so I felt that I did not belong at church. I went to church for a few Sundays, and somehow I was deeply touched by what the worship songs were saying about how much God loves me. It was strange. I never felt like that the hundreds of times I've gone to church. 
since I was young. I broke down in tears in the middle of service because I felt so broken and hopeless. I came to the realization that I had chosen to live a sinful life and rejected God despite being given so many opportunities to come to him. Even with how I lived my life, I realized God was still so good to me and kept blessing me. I eventually repented to God and asked for forgiveness. But despite knowing I had been forgiven, it was not easy to forgive myself. I carried a huge burden of guilt because I felt that I did not deserve God's love. I know I have heard people say about Christianity, well, you just believe and accept Christ. It sounded so innocent, and I wish it were my case. It actually required a lot of self-reflecting and thinking for me to truly comprehend and able to accept what Christ has done for me. When I was reading the Bible, I came across Paul's life when he was still called Saul and was a merciless persecutor of Christians. One day, God showed up in a bright light, causing him to be blind for three days. God restored his vision and baptized him into the Christian faith, gave him a new name, and filled him with the Holy Spirit. God had appointed him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. God chose to love, and even people like Saul, who persecuted him. He gave me the confirmation that God is full of mercy. And after reading Genesis, I realized God indeed loves me first. Before I came, before I even came to earth, despite God's love, humans sinned against him. And I inherited this sin as a human being, but God's love never changed. He loves me so much that he would sacrifice his own son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the penalty of my sins. So that my relationship with God is restored, and there's no reason for me to carry a big burden of guilt. Rather, I should be full of joy and gratefulness, having Christ as my personal Savior. Today, I chose to confirm my faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. I didn't plan on crying. <laughs> Sorry. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing? Can I ask you something? When you woke up this morning and the sunlight came through the curtains, what was the first thing that went into your mind? Uh, I can tell you a little bit time after, uh, the first words when I was standing next to Raina is she kind of looked at me and she said, are you wearing that? And I said, you know, not anymore, right? And, and <clears throat> but what were, the first, what were your first thoughts this morning? What were your first thoughts this morning? I, I got to be honest with you. Uh, some of my first thoughts this morning was like feeling a tremendous pressure for being in this pulpit. You know, like I'm, I'm like, I don't want to screw it up, you know? And then, I, and then I had this thought. What's special about today is that around 2,000 years ago, historically, the Son of God rose from the grave. And I thought, there's nothing I can do. I'm not powerful enough to screw that up, you know? <laughs> and and that, I'm, I'm here standing on that historical occurrence. And so this is where I say he's risen, and you say he's risen indeed again. He is risen. 
All right. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you all about turning points. And uh, have you guys ever experienced a turning point in your lives? You're heading down a certain direction, and you realize something, and so you change courses, and you go a different way. Has that ever happened to you before? For me, that happened the first time when I met my wife. We were in the same home group, and I was squarely in the friend category. And we were both that for each other in the friend category. But then something happened on the dance floor. We, we were doing the swing, and I put my hand on her waist, and I pulled her away, then I pulled her back. And something happened at that very moment. Do you know what happened? A turning point. And she, in my mind, went from friend to awesome. (laughs) I experienced another turning point recently. All my life, I've never enjoyed cooking. No, not me. I enjoy eating. I, I enjoy having good friends who can cook well. And they cook and I eat, but I don't like cooking. But recently, I, I had a turning point. Raina has found me in the kitchen on my day off, cooking up a storm. So does anyone have any idea what led to this turning point? Amazon Prime free videos. That was my turning point. Because they don't have any good movies out there. So what do I watch on my day off? The cooking shows, right? And Alton Brown has made me a believer. And I took a cooking class too, and that that really helped too. So today I want to talk about turning points. And, And Ellie, actually she shared several turning points. One turning point was when Michael shared with her that God loves her for who she is. And suddenly God's love became real. And then there were more turning points that actually brought her here today. But I'd like to talk to you about turning points in the way that you see and relate to Jesus. People in the Bible, you know, would would have these turning points when they would meet with Jesus. And they they were thinking, you know, Jesus is this thing. They put him in a box. Okay, he's like good. He's this thing. And then they met Jesus and and then he saw. And then, oh, this man is so much more than I originally thought he was. It was was turning points. Jesus would surprise people. Now, people definitely had these turning points with Jesus during his three years of ministry. But during his final days as he was going to the cross and sometime after, you could say that these turning points culminated. They actually exploded. And what we'd like to do this morning is to share about these stories of these people who saw with their own eyes. And there is a turning point and they're going to share their story. Now, the first person that we're going to meet today... The first person that we want to bring to life was right there at the foot of the cross. He was right there. The scripture speaks of his turning point, but you know something? It only offers one verse, just one verse. And that one verse is is, is, is pregnant with an untold story. The verse comes right after the death of Jesus, and it goes like this. When the centurion and those who are with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, 
This was the Son of God. One verse. Now, I have to tell you that this is not normally something we say about another person, no matter how highly we regard that person. Like, I might say something about another person. Wah is such a good-looking man. He could be an international supermodel. I could say something like that. I could say Daniel Chen is so smart. The man is genius. But come on. I don't say son of God. It's just not something we say. So there's a story behind here. What led this man to this conclusion? This man saw something. Which leads us with the question, what did he see? And, and if we could bring this man back to life, and if we could hear his story, what do you think he would say? And I, what I want you to do is imagine, just employ your imaginations. Consider the story of the Roman soldier at the foot of the cross and the turning point and the story that he has to tell. I've done a lot of thinking about the crucifixion of Christ. The events of Jesus' crucifixion both surprised me and convicted me that this man was no ordinary man. And I am not easily swayed. For I am a Roman soldier. But I'm not just any Roman soldier. I am a centurion. I lead a group of 100 of Rome's finest, boldest, most fierce warriors. Eh, everyone's always talking about the great Greek Spartans, the 300. They even made a movie about them. Maybe you've seen them. The 300? Eh, what they did with 300... I could have done with 100 of my Roman soldiers. We are the Romans. As a centurion on crucifixion duty, I have pretty much seen it all. I have seen physical pain and anguish as we hammer in six-inch spikes. One to the right, one to the left, one through the ankles, hoist them high. I've seen the emotional pain, the fear, the terror, the bitterness, men and women in their last moments of life. At first, it was pretty disturbing. But after a couple dozen of them, Ah, it's business as usual. With the crucifixion of Christ, I figure it would pretty much be business as usual. But I was wrong. Oh, I was wrong. I distinctly remember three events that convicted me that Jesus Christ was more than just a man. The first thing that caught my attention was forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus asked God to forgive the very people who were crucifying him. I have seen rage, anger, 
and bitterness. But I have never seen anyone ask God to forgive those who were crucifying him, including me, from the cross. Never seen that before, and I doubt I will ever see it again. The second thing that I remember is how Jesus handled the humiliation and the pain. Pilate had us put up this sign above him, King of the Jews. Oh my goodness. All that did was incite the crowd to hurl insults at Christ. My men even got into it. One of my men took the sponge that we used to clean ourselves. He filled it with wine, and then he pushed it into Christ's face. Jesus simply turned away. He did not even dignify the action with a response. In fact, all the humiliation and all the pain, he bore it. And he took it in. And he did it without contempt. He did it with courage. And he earned my respect. The third thing that I remember on that day is that Jesus prayed throughout the entire ordeal through the end. He cried, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I sensed his anguish and his struggle. But it was with something far more than just the physical pain. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit myself. And he said it with such confidence and conviction. And then... He was gone. And then something astonishing happened. The skies turned dark. And the ground trembled. And I, as a Roman centurion, was quaking. Because here I just presided over the crucifixion of Christ. And I see that he commands the skies and the earth. And what could he and what would he do to me? And at that moment, I just fell on my knees. Because I knew, I knew that this man was no ordinary man. And that was the turning point. I've seen power before, but never power that commands the skies and the earth. And I've seen compassion before, but that was always mercy at the Colosseum. I've never seen his mercy.
from the cross. Who would have ever thought that you would find the perfect expression of power and compassion in one man? And that's what led me to believe that this man was no ordinary man. This man was nothing less than the Son of God. So here we have the story of um, a battle-hardened Roman soldier. And at first for him, it was just an ordinary day. I mean, there's nothing that this man hasn't seen. But you just imagine, hear it from the story, you know. He has seen something that he's never seen before. He's seen a compassion that he's never seen before. It forgives its tormentors. And he sees a power that actually makes the lights go out and, and makes the earth tremble. And who would, who would have ever thought that the perfect expression of compassion and power would be found in the same person? So he falls on his knees and he has a turning point. This is the Son of God. Now, I wonder if, if we could, you know, really bring this Roman centurion to life here today. I, I, I imagine his encouragement to everyone here. I think he would say... You really need to check this Jesus out for yourself. And I think you might say, you know, for me, I thought he was an ordinary day. I thought he was an ordinary guy, but he totally surprised me. And maybe for you, like in reading the Bible, maybe you're thinking, well, the Bible is just an ordinary book. But my invitation to you guys is to pick up a Bible and start reading from like the Gospel of John. I mean, you can start reading the stories of Jesus himself that are in this, this Bible. And if you don't have one, we, we have one at the welcome table, and you're, you're free to pick one up for free. And, and throughout history, men and women have been picking up this book, and they've been reading about the stories of Jesus. And, and the person of Jesus has been coming to life, and it's, I've never seen power and compassion like this before. And they've been surprised. And maybe if you pick up a Bible and just read the Gospel of John, maybe you'll be surprised too. Maybe you'll be surprised too. So I want to encourage you to check out Jesus for yourself. And who knows, you might be surprised. You might have a turning point. Uh, I know for myself that I've read the Bible, uh, maybe, you know, the Gospel of John like a hundred times. But recently, it was just last month that I started reading it again. And it's still... The person of Jesus and his teachings still blows me away. So that's an invitation for you guys to encounter Jesus just as the Roman centurion did. Now, you've heard the story of the centurion, and aren't you glad that we're just not leaving off there? Aren't you glad that the story doesn't just end right there? The story continues. And so now we pick up the story told by two other people. Now, these two other people are different from the centurion in that they knew Jesus. They knew him for a while. They were, they were friends and they were followers. But they are sharing with you what they saw with their own eyes, these eyewitnesses. 
And even after being with Jesus for month after month, Jesus still surprised them. And they still had turning points. And through his death and resurrection, they realized that Jesus was much more than they originally thought. So let's hear from these two the story and the perspective that they have to share. No, I'm Mary Magdalene. And then, just for shock effect, I go, you know the Mary, the one that Jesus had to cast seven demons out of? That gets a great reaction from them. But it means that I'm that Mary, the one who grew up without a dad, the one whose mama always had guys coming around the house, the one who was abused by them. But the moment I met Jesus, all of that changed for me. I'm the Mary that used to be a victim, but I'm no longer that Mary anymore. I'm the Mary that when all the guys left Jesus, I remained. And I watched him die. I'm that Mary. I'm Mary Magdalene. Hi. Hi, Mary. Hi. I'm Peter. Most of you know me as uh, the guy that tends to uh, talk a lot and talk really, really, really fast. (laughs) Sometimes when I talk, I put a foot in my mouth, but you all know the disciple John, and you might call him the beloved, but I like to call myself the one that he loved more. I was much more looking than Wall. Much more, much more smarter than, than Daniel. But the night when he died, I, I remember I was with Jesus. And we were sitting behind, around a fire. And I, he was saying all these terrible things that he, he wouldn't come back. And we can't follow him. And, and I was just distraught. I, I didn't understand. I, I looked at him and I said, Jesus... I will follow you wherever you go. And as a matter of fact, I don't know if I was arrogant or not, but I, was, I said that I will, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus was scratching his head. It was like, nah, you're, you're not going to do that. He said that you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times before the rooster crows. And I was like, rooster? What, what do you mean rooster? Like an actual rooster? The night when they arrested him, I kept my distance from Jesus and I was trying to follow him. And everywhere I turned, people were, hey, I, I know you. Hey, I know you. And by the third person that said they knew me, I, I said, I don't know this man. And right then, a rooster crowed. I, I, I panicked and I ran away. But he wasn't alone. They crucified him. 
I was there. I, I was so disgusted with myself. I was so disgusted by what they did to Jesus. And I remember his final moments. I remember thinking, how could this possibly be happening? Like something was terribly, terribly wrong. Here was a perfect man. And I've been with lots of men before. Far from perfect, let me tell you about it. But here was a perfect man receiving the most gruesome, torturous death. I, I couldn't bear to watch. But I loved him so much, I couldn't bear to turn away. And I just stood there, and I watched, bawling my eyes out. I was just wrecked inside. I remember after they buried him, going home, and it was so dark. But I didn't even light a lamp. I just went to bed. Saturday, the day after that day, was the worst day of my entire life. If ever I had a suicidal day, if ever I had a day when those demons came back, it had to be that day, the day after they crucified my Jesus. Yeah, me too. But then Sunday came. Uh, oh, Sunday? Oh, smack. And I woke up early, and I brought my best girlfriends with me, my posse, because, you know, I felt the best way to grieve would be to go to the tomb and to see where he laid and say goodbye to him and just, you know, to thank him and honor him because he was such a good man. So I remember going with the spices. They were so heavy, like 100 pounds heavy. And we were hauling them so we could embalm the body. But then we got there. And something was different. The people were supposed to be guarding the tomb. Well, they were gone, and the stone was rolled away. And we looked inside, and nothing was there. And we turned to each other, and we were all like, do you know what's happening, or, or what's happening here? We were freaking out. Yeah, I remember you freaking out, Mary. And, and then I found you, Peter and John, and I told you, the tomb, it's empty. Right then and there, John, I made a decision to go to the tomb. I mean, Mary, Mary said it was empty. And so we ran there as quick as we can. Well, at least John did. I, 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 was, I wasn't going to run. We got there and John, he was a little scared. And, and I, I had more courage than John because, you know, I was good looking. So I, I peeked inside. And I saw the linen that Jesus wore, but there was no body. I, I, John came in, and, and he saw that there was no body, too. And we both looked at each other, like, wait, 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 is this a joke? Like, what's going on? And we both shrugged their shoulders and said, there's, there's nothing here. Mary was right. Jesus wasn't here. We didn't know what to do, so we just, we just went home. Yeah, so the guys went home, but I stayed. I stayed at the tomb, and I was weeping and weeping, and I was confused, and I was angry, and people were playing games with us. I didn't know what to think. So I got up, and I looked inside that tomb just one more time. And you know what I saw? Two men, and they're dressed in white, and they were sitting right where Jesus had been laying. And they said to me, woman, why are you crying? And I said, They've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And then I turned around, and I saw Jesus. 
But, you know, I, I didn't know it was him because he looked different. I mean, I thought he was the gardener or the maintenance man or something. And I said to him, sir, if you have carried away my Jesus, tell me where he is so I can come and get him. And then Jesus said one word to me. That's all it took. You know what he said? He said, Mary, you know, it was the way he said it to me. It was just the way he said it. And my heart leapt out of my chest, and I was so excited. And I said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, and then I grabbed him and I hugged him. And I I think I kind of overdid it because he said, don't cling to me, because he was going to the Father and all that. Um, But he did say, go tell my brothers, tell my brothers. And I thought to myself, you go tell your brothers, because if I tell them, they'll think I'm crazy. But I did what he told me, and I went to go find you and his brothers. Uh, Mary, I didn't think you were crazy. They thought I was crazy. Well, okay, maybe a little bit local, right? But until that night, I, I didn't believe from my very own eyes that what Mary saw, I saw. Jesus appeared to me too, Mary. I, I couldn't believe it. But the story doesn't end there. A week or so later, I was out fishing with a group of my friends, and um, we're we're good fishermen. That day, we caught nothing, absolutely no fish. And there was this guy on the shoreline that said, hey, cast your net over the right side, and you'll get some fish. And I was like, this guy looks pretty shady. Uh, I don't want to listen to him. I mean, I mean... I'm a fisherman. I I know my trade. But something inside of me told me just to do it. Mm -hmm. Just to trust. We cast our nets over, us and the guys, and we caught 153 fishes. There was so much, it it almost tipped the boat over. And as we bring the fish in, it's pile and pile. I looked over, and that shady guy, it it wasn't a shady guy, Mary. It, It was Jesus. I dropped the fish. All the guys dropped the fish. And, and we just, they started heading towards the shore. And I couldn't wait. I just jumped in. I just swam there, clothes and all. When I got to Jesus soaking wet, there was already fire there. And Jesus said, bring me some fish. And I brought him some fish. And we had a feast that night, Mary. Oh, my goodness. We had a feast that night. We, we sat with Jesus. And he, and he came over and sat with me. And I was... I was cold in the wet, but I didn't care. I was with him. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And I was like, Jesus, of course I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And I was like, of course, Jesus. He asked me again, Peter, do you love me? And I was like, yeah, Jesus, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And the third time he asked me, I remembered that three times, not once, not twice, but three times I denied him. I denied him. Here he is asking me a third time, Peter, do you love me? And I said, Jesus, I love you. Then feed my lamb. Right then and there, I knew that Jesus gave me an opportunity to redeem myself with him. To understand that his love was beyond my capacity. If Jesus can have a turning point with Mary, 
then why can't for me? He confirmed that I would be able to lead his church. I, I, I was just so excited. I just, I just jumped for joy. And I, I said to myself, this is my turning point. Yeah, and you know, I have one too. It was the moment that he rose from the grave afterwards when he said to me, Mary, that's when it all changed for me. And I was no longer the same Mary. I was no longer the same Peter. I was no longer a victim. I was forgiven. No longer a woman of abuse. No, man of, no longer a man of fear. I became a woman of hope. I became the rock. And it was, it was all, all because, because of Jesus. Jesus. He was no ordinary man. If Jesus were to actually whisper your name today. And, and when Jesus said, Mary, everything changed for Mary. At that moment, Jesus went from being just a good man, but he went to being the man who conquered death itself. And the man who can change our lives and give us a hope that's beyond the grave. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone here who could use that kind of hope. Maybe the graves of life just feel very overwhelming to you. Maybe there's some loneliness and sickness in your life. Maybe there's some broken relationships that you're struggling with. Maybe there's some depression and rejection. And there's this kind of thinking like, if this life is all there is, and then you die, then what is the point? And then the moment Mary saw the resurrected Jesus and heard her name, everything changed. This was no longer just a good man. This is the man who conquered death and will one day heal all that is broken in our world and make everything sad come untrue. And that hope that Mary found is available for everyone here in this room. And what about Peter? What did Peter find? What was Peter's turning point? Peter totally blew it. And Jesus totally forgave him. I was wondering if there's anyone here who can relate to Peter. You've been trusting in yourself and you feel like you can't be trusted anymore. Something in your life is out of control. You've blown it in some sort of way. And you need forgiveness. You know, at certain moments when we're honest with ourselves... We know we're not the man or the woman that we should be. We're not as patient a parent as we should be. We're not as sexually pure as we'd like other people to think we are. We're not as kind-hearted in our words about other people when those other people are not there and we're just talking to someone like a good friend. Or maybe you're like me and you... You reflect, and it seems that your first impulse is pretty consistently about yourself. There's self-centeredness. Or you're preoccupied with what other people think. You care more about what they think than about what God thinks. 
And we sense that we've been created to have a love relationship with God. But when we're honest, it's like, I honestly don't love God that much. We sense that through this, we've offended God. And Jesus comes to us offering the forgiveness of God. And you kind of go, well, what do we do to deserve that? How is that possible? How can he forgive you and me? And you realize that that's the whole reason why Jesus died. He sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven. And the fierce anger of God at our sin was coming down on his son so that he could spare us. Someone had to pay for our sin and Jesus paid for it. He took the blows so that we could take the forgiveness. And maybe today, if you've never received his forgiveness, maybe today will be your turning point. Ellie had a turning point. Maybe today or maybe this year will be yours. Would you just stand with me and we're just going to pray together. And I'm calling the worship team forward. Let's pray. Some of you in this room can relate to how Peter was feeling, just needing forgiveness. And maybe some of you have never asked God for forgiveness before. And if that's the case, you can just pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in a whisper. You can pray in your heart. You can just pray and receive the forgiveness of God. And you can just pray like this. You can say, Lord, I haven't been perfect. Or you can say, Lord, I've been far from perfect. Please forgive me. You can say, Jesus gave his life so that I may be forgiven. And so I receive his sacrifice for my sins. You can say, help me to know you more. And to become the man, the woman that you want me to be. And in Jesus' name we can pray. Amen.